<laughs> so Hugh, thank you very much for your time. You, you've done a lot of interviews. Um, you've spoken to so many, many people. Um, but you've always seemed to have stories to tell and, and such a great memory. How do you do it? I, uh, well, you know, I've been, I do a lot of preparation. Over the right. years, I've done a lot of preparation, uh, particularly for rugby matches and that type of thing. And so, you know, I, when I think of how many names I've written down over the years, it must be thousands. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, but otherwise, you know, if I'm if I'm making reference to things and that type of stuff, I have uh, you know rugby annuals going back over many years, the South African Rugby Annual, and other you know websites. I mean, I might look up the GNs and website for all the Springbok information and that type of thing. But I can assure you, I don't carry it all in my head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, just in your words, just what is so special about rugby? You know, why or or how does it bring the best out of those who play it? In your opinion, I I think one of the great att attractions of rugby is that there is a position for all types of people, and you know, obviously they're talking about the long, the short, the tall, the broad, the, yeah. you know, the quick, the whatever, you know, and, and uh, as I, I always recall at school, you know, we had two cricket teams in our age group, but six rugby teams. Oh, wow. Because, you, you know, quite frankly, if you, if you can't play cricket, it's a pretty boring game to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're going to field all day and bat number 10, uh, it's not a hell of a lot of fun. Yes. Whereas, you know, a, a, a little fellow who might not have a lot of ball sense but has got strength, you can play in the, the front row position, uh, can run around and enjoy the camaraderie and the team spirit and, and have a nice little run and it's going to take him an hour. Whereas, uh, again, you know, I looked, when I left school, I was more into cricket than I was into rugby. But it, it, the, the attraction to me of rugby is that it does have all those different, you know, you've got 15 players and, uh, you know, obviously your two locks will be similar and your front rankers, um, maybe apart from your hooker, will be pretty similar. But they, you know, they won't be the quickest guys on the field. Definitely. And so... You know, even uh, uh, you know, if you look at the front rankers over the years at the international, provincial level, they've all got ball sense, but they're not quick enough to be top soccer players, um, and you know that type of thing. So, so that to me has been the attraction. It's one of the reasons why I'm actually not crazy about the man of the match award, because oh, every player has so much, such a different role to play. Sure. So if a fly half gets the man of the match, you know, what about the poor hooker who might have hooked 20 balls for him? Yeah. Um, or thrown the ball in brilliantly at the line out of the lock who's provided the, the, the scrum half with all the ball. Yeah. So, you know, that that to me has been the, the great attraction of, of, of the game. No, that's... that's... I mean, I, uh, I was asked to give a talk at Rondebosch during one of the school Easter weekends about a year or two ago. And they had a, a, a fellow who 
who was, to put it mildly, rotund. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he was actually a blooming useful front ranker. <laughs> and when I came to hand up the jerseys and he came up and I had spoken to him about the attraction of rugby and position for everybody, when he came up, I said, there you go. You see, I told you guys, there's a position for everybody. <laughs> oh, Hugh, that's excellent. <laughs> But, but talking about, about school and, and rugby, and it seems that now, you know, if it's getting televised like these dedicated channels for schoolboy rugby, do you feel that, that that's the right emphasis placed on it? Yeah, you know, I think, I think that as long as one doesn't make superheroes out of, out of schoolboy rugby players, I believe. Yeah. You know, there's so much emphasis on, on schools and, and winning and that type of thing. We had an address at the Joburg Sportsman's Club by the, the former headmaster at one of the top schools in South Africa. And he said, you know, people are more interested in the results of the first 15 than the matric results. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, a school is sort of judged on its, its first 15 results and at the top of the log in the first 15, then the school's a great school. So I, you know, and whilst we have electronic media and the facility there too, um, I think think it's a great thing as long as everybody keeps their feet on the ground and don't get grandiose ideas about the fact that they may be a really good player at school because, um, you know, whilst I I value that, uh, to me, not enough players come through uh, through into to more senior ranks and even talking about club rugby. Yeah. You know, so you can be a really talented schoolboy player and uh, get your colours and that type of thing. But t- to me personally, you haven't really achieved uh, a huge amount until you prove yourself in the open world. Mm, mm, mm. Another great perspective. Thank you, Hugh. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting to see where it's going. Um, so I'm watching it quite carefully, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, but Hugh, let's just talk a bit about your rugby playing career. And Ellis Park, that's where it all started for you. Just how special is that ground for you? Yeah, well, you know, it was, it, it, it was a very special ground for me. I, at the first game I ever watched at Ellis Park was when I was nine years old. <laughs> And I didn't watch another game at Ellis Park till I was about 15. Oh, wow. Uh, but I remember that, that being a nine-year-old, and, you know, we sat, my brother and I and a great friend of ours sat on the popular side, and it was when Nachi Throne was at the height of its popularity, and uh, <laughs> people were hurling Nachis onto the field. And, oh, wow. And uh, it was... But I had a great day, uh, you know, and, and funnily enough, it, it was very strange because I said to my mother, age nine, I said, I want to play on that field one day. There we go. Um, which I did, in fact, when I was playing for my school first 15, we played a curtain raiser to the British Lions Transvaal game. And, uh, you know, thereafter, I mean, I, I represented Transvaal under 20 for two years. And, uh, but it was the old Ellis Park, you know, there were yeah. bench seats on the popular side and, and uh, was Splinter giving uh, wooden stands on the on the main grandstand side, 
Um, but it, it was, it, you know, it was a great, it was, for me, it was a super fuel to power. Yeah, definitely. There's something special about that place indeed. And like you mentioned, you, you played for Transvaal, but was that, you know, time that you played for Transvaal, was that the energy that sort of kept you in the game for rugby all your life? The fact that you got to play provincial rugby, that just sort of kept you going through all these years, so to say? No. Ah. Not at all. Mm. And, you know, when I, I say when I left school, soon after I left school, I, I played cricket for old Edwardians from the age of about 14 or 15 um, on a, you know, in the thirsty thirds on the Sunday. They used to pick a few promising, so-called promising schoolboy cricketers to play in the Sunday third side. And I started playing for them at a very young age. And then I got into the just after I matriculated, I got picked in the, in the old age first team. So I was playing first league cricket. Sure. And uh, uh, an old school friend of mine who was a very good rugby player phoned me up and said there were a group. In fact, he was doing his matric again at Damlin or some subjects again at Damlin. He said there were a group of us who are going out to join Wanderers. Why don't you come and play? And I said, well, I'm playing, you know, I'm playing cricket at the moment, but I'll think about it when, when cricket season ends. Yeah. Which I did, and then I joined the Wanderers as, a, as an 18-year-old. And, you know, we, in those days, you had to join a club to get recognition. And, I, in fact, I didn't join the club to get recognition. I joined the club to play rugby and be with my mates. And then the next thing is that club secretary said, you've been chosen for the... Transvaal under 20 trials and I went to the Transvaal under 20 trials and a little bit surprised I was chosen for the Transvaal under 20 side mm. and and so it, 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 it continued almost from there on in and the following year in fact I captained the Transvaal under 20 side and we were unbeaten sure. and I played in the Wanderers first side for about the last six games of that season um, and and then obviously started having more success at rugby because I got picked for Transvaal the following season when I was 20 years old. Um, and so in a way, cricket took a little bit of a back seat. I mean, I continued to play firstly cricket, but rugby became the game that I had achieved more success at. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, really rugby became my first love. No, definitely. And you did so, so well. Um you because we're going to talk about a few other things you know making the junior spring bus but playing at number 10 one would say that you had a an educated boot was that something that you also focused on during your your playing years not uh, not particularly you know we would we would when we were at school we we had very good coaches yes and we had, um, at our, in fact, our, when I got to the first team at school, our coach was a, a fellow by the name of John Hurry, who was a very good all-round sportsman. Not uh, He played first team rugby at school, but he won the South African Mixed Doubles Tennis Championship. He played first league hockey for Old Edwardians. He played uh, first league squash for Old Edwardians. And he was the guy who actually taught me to kick yeah. and you know in the in those days we, we when we kicked for touch we actually kicked torpedoes interesting and uh you know the, the, the kicking techniques have changed but sometimes when i see a guy 
take a kick, a, 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 a penalty kick for touch on his own 22 meter line and kick it out on the halfway line. I think if the guys still kick torpedoes, they kick it out on the, to the opposition's 22 meter line. That's that's something to look at and consider and talk about. That's an interesting, interesting topic right there. Sure. So, yeah, you know, and I've discussed it with Nas as well, and mm. he says, you know, to his mind, that when the guys kick for touch from a penalty, uh, particularly inside their own half, because they're looking for that accuracy. I mean, you can still kick a torpedo with accuracy. Yes, yes. Um, and Jane, uh, uh, to me, and I think this is a personal point of view, uh, one hell of a lot more ground. Yeah. Well, I think we should we should maybe do an experiment one day. Are you, are you up for that? You, we can see if it actually it's it's worth uh, uh, looking. <laughs> and see if well, you true. know, I would like to get a current player to kick torpedoes. <laughs> 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 These legs are not built for kicking anymore. Uh, okay, yeah. No problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you obviously, you know, you, you got picked for the junior Springboks, and there was a bit of a time there where I think you thought that people were actually joking with you and messing around because you thought, no, it can't be. But you were picked for the, the junior Springboks. But I just want to touch on something where you, 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 you consider your worst sporting memory the 11 6 loss versus Argentina. Why would you consider that your, your worst uh, sporting memory? Uh, well, you know, at, at the time, it was it, it was probably the highest honour that that I had achieved. Yeah. And and quite frankly, the, the the Pumas, as they were called, had not had a particularly successful tour of South Africa. And had right. beaten by had been beaten by some of the the lower sort of provinces, um, and on, on that particular day, admittedly we missed about seven kicks at goal. Oh, um, I'm not going no names, no tactical, but I wasn't the kicker. Clear that up. And and you know, in fact, I, I, I sort of in thinking about it afterwards. It was almost a case of us sort of saying, well, we just have to pitch up to win this game and, right. and uh, Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Uh, and they, look, they played incredibly well. And I, and I, I was a little bit taken aback being a bit of a greenhorn at, at international level and that type of thing because I was just 20 years old. Um, the, the celebration that the, Argent, that the Pumas players had at the end of the game, took my breath away. Okay. And, uh, you know, that sort of realized how important it was to them. Uh, and, and in fact, it was not a good day for South African rugby because the Springboks were touring New Zealand and we lost that test in the morning and yeah. then lost the Pumas in the afternoon. So it was a, <laughs> a bit of a black day for South Absolutely. African rugby. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, that's very rough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you... I mean, your your name speaks for itself. You've commentated for 45 years now. How have you been able to say so dedicated to that profession? Well, you know, I mean, I, I stopped playing rugby at the age of 26. Um, primarily because my brother and I and my, my father-in-law basically was the chairman of the company. We had started 
our own company um, to to make it easier, like in jewelry manufacture. Ah. Um, and you know, it got to the point where where we had to work for a living. And I was in a, in a, a situation where you know, quite often I'd say, "Well, I can't do this because I've got to go to rugby practice, or I can't do this." Or I won't be available for a meeting on Friday because we tra- we're traveling to Cape Town. And so at, at the age of 26, I actually retired uh, from, from all rugby. Sure. And in fact, for about four years, I dipped out of rugby completely. Wow. And just dedicated myself to the business. Um, and then it was, it was basically Mickey Sharber who got me back into rugby, really press ganged me into. You know, the press gang means gentle co- co- coercion, or, uh, <laughs> which it wasn't too gentle. He said, you know, you owe it to the game. Well, you better go. come and help. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been, it's been uh, I think, one of the best decisions you've ever made, You Really, really good. Well, you know, the, the other thing was that I would really had never considered commentary until pretty recently, commentary never paid one enough to live on. Ah, okay. And we, in the early days, Chick Henderson, who was one of my very early mentors and a great friend, um, and I used to actually joke about it and say, you know, it actually costing us rugby to commentate rugby because we would get uh, a call on a Thursday and they'd say, please go to Whitbank, now you Malachlani. Um, oh. And commentate on a Friday night, Southeastern Transvaal playing against the Falcons. Sure. Lovely game at Seven City on a Friday night in Whitbank. Um, and we would travel there and back and maybe have a beer after the game. And get no, it, it would cost us more in petrol than they paid us. Oh uh, dear. So it, it, you know, it was it was really a, a, a case of it being a bit of a hobby. But I mean, when, when Kim Shippey, who was the man who phoned me and said, would you like to try commentating? Um, when he said to me, have you thought about commentating? I quite honestly said to him, no, frankly, I've never, I've never even given it a, a thought. And he said, well, I'm looking for an English speaking person who's played provincial rugby. Uh, funnily enough, I had done a few speeches and emceed the Wanderers annual rugby dinner and, and had been on a radio program with Kim, Kim Shippey, was called the Castle Lago Sports Quiz. <laughs> and he said to me, you seem to be reasonably comfortable behind the microphone, do you want to come and try? Mm, mm, and mm. I said, uh, sure. Rather, you know, sort of, yeah, it's not, oh, wow, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, good, on Saturday, Transvaal are playing the All Blacks. This was in 1976. And uh, you are in. Sure. And uh, so <laughs> I pitched at the commentary box, and Kim Shippey said to me, you know, put the earphones on and hold this lip mic up to your, to your lips and, and speak when I don't. Yeah. Uh, and that was my introduction to commentary. So thrown in the deep end there properly, Hugh. <laughs> Yeah, you know, when I when I see the guys who I and then I basically I did comments for four years. I I was supposed to be the you know the so-called expert opinion. Sure. And I did comments for four years before I called again. Wow. 
they should be. How do you sort of manage that? How do you commentate fairly when your heart, <laughs> you know, you want to get to win, <laughs> but you've got to call it as it is? How do you manage it? How do you balance that? <laughs> well, I always I just said, you know, you call the game as you see it. Yeah. And you call the game, I mean, uh, one team will be let's say one team will be dominant so you you will be courting that team more than you will the defending team or the team that isn't getting as much ball and in fact I've been stopped in the street and people say why are you biased against the the, the Lions I mean for yeah. heaven's sake I spent half my life at the at Ellis Park <laughs> and um, you know you sort of say well what are you talking about and they say well you know that game Two weeks ago, when the Bulls beat the Lions by 32 points to six, you were biased against the Lions. And I said, well, one team was playing and the other team was defending. True. Um, you know, so that situation. There were, there were some sometimes when we got information from the powers that be at Supersport who would say, you are, particularly when we were overseas, they would say, you are commentating this game only to South Africa. So oh. you can give it a bit of a South African bias. Right, right. But, you know, a lot of the time one would be commentating internationally. And so one, I like to think that I would call the game as it happened on the field. Yeah, which is the right thing to do, Hugh. So, yeah, good on you. Very, very good. Uh, Hugh, and I just, I have to bring this up if you don't mind, because he was absolute legend for South African rugby, but your son of Vestazen, your most impressive player you have watched? No. When I say no, mm. um, I'm going back to the, to the uh, question of, of positions and, and, and players in positions. Yeah, yeah. And so, you, funnily enough, you know, Nick Mallard was asked to to name his Springbok side and he named Reed Pierre as his scrum half okay. and said because he kicked better than yours did. Right. And his tactical kicking was, was absolutely, as they used to say, opatiki. And, um, <laughs> you know, if people say to me, one of the, one of the best rugby players I ever saw was Uri Schmidt. Oh. Um, uh, you know, he was he was an uh, he was an out and out all rounder, despite the fact that he played in the middle of the scrum. And um, so, you know, if, if one said to me, "Who would your best lucid prop be that you've seen?" I'd say probably Os Durant, and I would go through a team where there would be players who would be of equal standard, or players who played in a different era or players who maybe didn't play in a stronger side and that type of thing. But yeah. I would, you know, one of the great players I saw in my life, in fact, one of the greatest was Danny Herba. Yeah, he was going to be my, my next guy. I was going to ask you, surely that guy was just, well, phenomenal. Best outside, outside center South Africa's probably produced? Well, yeah, well, you know, I would, I would, Say that he he ranks he ranks amongst the the, the world's best centres ever yeah. that yeah. Uh, that I saw play. <laughs> uh, but again, you know, the the game has changed. Defensive patterns have changed. Uh, yes. I always say when when I played, the forwards fought for the ball, gave it to the three quarters. 
when the four, when the three quarters messed it up, the forwards fought for the ball again. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you know you can go. The, the, the other day, in fact, I, I, went, I was watching some game, and after about twenty minutes, I realised that the fly half had only touched the ball twice in the game. Wow! And so you know, you know you've now got forwards lining up and taking ball after ball after ball, and and Ruxin. I mean, I as a fly half never tackled a front ranker unless he happened to burst away from a lineup by pure fluke. <laughs> and then normally would run over me. Yeah, that's true. Um, so you know, d- defensively, you as a fly half in, in my day, you would you would go up on defence. If your opposite number passed the ball, you would then cover like crazy. Mm. Um, but now you know you can you can have a fly with a with shift tackle situations and that type of thing. You can have a fly half who's tackling a hundred kilogram centre. Mind yeah. you, most of the fly halves these days are 100 k's anyway. Anyway, yeah, so it's, it's <laughs> the game's even up, so to speak. So the game has changed, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's changed enormously in defensive play. I don't think the, the, the outside backs have as much room to run as they do. I think the New Zealanders create more open spaces for themselves by the movement that they do and the backing up that is absolutely brilliant. Um, but but on the whole, the backs don't have as much time and space as as I think they did in in Donny's day. But given that, you know, he he was a he was a tremendous player. Yeah, he was absolutely the, those lines that he ran and the pace and just the power that he had was yeah, it was awesome to see. Really, really awesome. He was, you know, and, and well, one of one of his great attributes was that he he ran off the ball brilliantly. Yeah. So he would sum up in a trice uh, where he was going to run off the ball. And, and so often, you know, he would run himself into an open space mm-hmm. and thereafter run circles around would-be tacklers. Yeah. and more than one occasion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but chat about um, running well. Brian Banner also must have been a player that you enjoyed uh, talking about. 2007 World Cup, he was just phenomenal. He must also have been one of the players that you can mock down as, as one of the legends of South African rugby. Yeah, you know, he obviously he holds a South African tri-scoring record and and he was a master of the interception, as was Jean de Villiers. And, uh, you know, he look, I, I suppose in a way I had a soft spot for Brian Habana because mm-hmm. we went to the same school. Yeah. And... Um, but, you know, you can't have a soft spot for a guy if he's not playing well <laughs> um, or he's not making the team. And if the guy's running, uh, you know, and scoring tries from 50, 60 meters out, you can't you get excited about it. Well, I'd get excited about it. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. But, yeah, he's been, he's been so good to watch. And let's hope that that trend continues. South African rugby, that we're always a, a major force in the world, um, you know, because we were chatting about New Zealand earlier, etc., etc., and it's so good that that rivalry exists with another nation, and hopefully we, we maintain that standard and get better through the years, and that's important, I feel. But yeah, anyway. Well, you know, the, 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 the great thing is if we get back to a normal world, it will, it will, be, it will be fantastic. Yeah. One, of, one of the South Africa's problems is our exchange rate. And the, 
and which I think is a huge factor in in the number of players that have have gone to play overseas. And I was flabbergasted a little while ago to hear from one of the board members of SA Rugby that there are 500 South Africans playing rugby overseas. Yes. Yeah. So that's why one hell of a lot of teams, you know, Ryan. It's one hell of a lot of teams that that and players who could be playing rugby in South Africa but don't because they're able to earn euros or pounds or yen. And um, you know, one doesn't blame them for 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 searching for the for the for the money. Yeah, it, it is quite sad because you, know, you feel that you know the guys are giving it all here in South Africa in the domestic competitions, but you know you know that these players overseas that are are there because of how good they are. So it's such a it's such a tough one because these guys are they're aspiring to be the best, but it's not going to happen anytime soon because because of that that lure. With the finances, and those guys are going. Yeah, you know, if you if you if you think about it, I mean, your 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 you, most of the World Cup squad are, are well, you know, a great many of the World Cup squad are playing overseas. Yeah. And so, an up and coming player who is playing, let's say, in the current provincial situation, it's also a, a difficult job for Jacques Minaba to judge who. Uh, you know, the, the sta- is that guy up to international standard? Yeah. And how do we uh, assess whether he's up to international standard or not? If if our provincial rugby is watered down, um, so you know, it, it, I'm sure Jacques Minalba will get a lot of um, uh, help from the director of rugby, Rossi Erasmus, because they've worked together closely for some years now. But it is a, a very difficult situation for the current South African coach to assess how good our local players are. No, I, I agree with you. And it's, as much as, um, with all due respect, and when I talk about the Curry Cup, um, as much as that competition is a fantastic competition, it's the oldest one in the world, it's not carrying the same weight that it used to because of the players being overseas. And, overseas. and that was such a, uh, I would say, a competition to judge the skills of the players and where they're going, because that was, you know, that competition was played with, you know, in, intensity, and the guys wanted to win it. It was, <laughs> it was jolly, jolly good. But it just sort of feels that that same sort of threshold isn't there. If that makes any sense, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's just a, the knock-on effect from from professionalism, and it, it's yeah. one of the things that that uh, the powers that be at South African rugby have to live with, and we as as ardent South African supporters have to to go with. So yeah, you know, yeah. we've we've now we we are we are the World Cup champions. True. Okay. Um, and so the expectation from the South African supporters is extremely high. It is very high. <laughs> Whether you know what what will will be you know we, we so we haven't played a test since since basically we became the world cup champion nearly two years ago would you believe yeah and so you know again it, it, then times change quite rapidly so you know what is what is a, a, a springbok side that maybe is picked in a month's time we don't really know how it's going to how they're going to play true but based on that saying that, saying that now, then it's actually in order of us to win the World Cup, it's probably best that the, our best players are playing overseas then, if we want to be playing in the 
against the best players to see how we're doing? Yeah, if they if they are being a if again, you know, how one's got to look at it and say, well, how strong is the is the English Premiership? Yeah, true. <laughs> um, yeah, in, I, in comparison, I mean, frankly, I watch some of that English Premiership rugby, and it's pretty boring. Mm. And so you you saying, well, you know, and and the conditions are so different. You know, they're, they're playing in mud and rain and snow and and uh, sometimes pretty rotten conditions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it is, you know, it's quite difficult. The other thing is the standard of the Springboks going into those those uh, situations lowering. If, if a player goes and plays in Japan, is is his standard going to lower because he's dropping his standard to the Japanese standard? Or, you know, is he able to lift his game into Test Match international level? Mm. You know, the, the, it's quite... One of the remarkable things about international rugby is, and I can only compare this to having played against the All Blacks in 1970 for Transvaal. And it must have been about my oh, 13th or 14th provincial rugby match, maybe 15th. And after two or three minutes, I, I suddenly thought this is quicker is two or three meters quicker okay. than anything I've ever experienced in my life. And if you don't lift your game, you're really going to see your backside. Sure. And and that is is a, you know it happens in all international sport. It's, it's with cricket and and with with any as you go up the the, the levels. So you've got to move up a level to play international sport. Yeah, yeah, which and you, yeah. you know you've got to be the the, the 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 big thing for for the the selectors and coaches now is to be able to judge whether players have the the, the uh, ability, the physical ability, or the mental ability to to make that step up into international rugby. Mm. Mm. Well, you're right, but like you said, um, it's been two years since we last had an international fixture, but uh, hopefully we can. Get that British and Irish Lions tour underway, and that'll be exciting to see how we how we doing. That'll be good. Yeah. Well, no, that you know, I'm looking. If that British and Irish Lions tour doesn't take place, it will be a it will be a great disappointment. Yes. Um, but it's you know, sadly, one can one can say that's not a knock on effect right through through many people's lives. Is is this dreadful pandemic? Yeah, no, you're right. You you hundred percent correct. But you, as we, we sort of draw to an end, um, you've, you've uh, been here for many, many games, many, many changes in the world, you know, 27 Curry Cup finals, uh, absolute legend. You're obviously going to commentate on games for as long as you can. No, I've, I've, I've been retired. Oh, you've been retired, you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's quite strange. Which, which, you know, took a little while for me to come to terms with, but yes. I yes. sort of understand it and have spoken to, to members of the family, you know, my children are my greatest critics, particularly my son. Uh, and, you know, I'm not getting any younger and uh, maybe it is a good time to just say, okay, that's it, and, and not to be in a situation where people say, oh, geez, you know, I wish this old guy would give the game up. <laughs> oh, wait, so you've been absolutely brilliant to 
to listen to you and yeah, thanks for all your effort and hard work. It's it's a lot of dedication. Um, yeah, it has been, but you know, it's a dedication of love, and so well, it's far easier to to uh, do preparation for something that you love and follow something that you love, which is you know the the easiest thing to do in the world. So you know, I've been I've been over the years. Basically, you know, we we always travelled well and travelled business class, and we and we stayed in the same hotel as the Springboks on many occasions, and and to have toured the rugby playing world um, in, in basically in in some luxury has been a, a, a wonderful opportunity and an, and an incredible privilege. Well, yeah, I think we've been privileged to have you commentate on our games here in South Africa because not many people can do what you've done. There's very few, very, very few people who've been able to describe a game the way you do and just bring it to life. So thank you for that you've done and yeah, thank you for being able to chat and just for being such a, a great person. And yeah, it's been lovely to, to have your, your time here on the show. So thank you, Hugh. And, yeah, Thanks, Ryan. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah. A guy, a guy, the other day approached me and he said, "Do you mind? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so, so sorry. Do you mind if I, if, if you could, t if I could take a photograph with you?" Sure. And I said, "Listen, pal, you don't have to be sorry because when people stop asking, then I already panic." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, oh, great man. Thank you so much for your time. And like I said, it's been great to hear your, your commentary. Going to be missed. Going to be really, really missed. So thank you for all that you've done. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs>